I'm so thankful to the Lord for that, that I heard that message that night and it just really gripped my heart. Roxanne worked second shift, which meant getting home late every night. But one evening was different. Instead of her favorite rock station, she found Focus on the Family on the radio. I didn't find out until sometime later that I actually, you know, got saved or born again or, you know, gave my heart to the Lord that night. I just knew that I prayed the prayer at the end. So I just, you know, was probably by that time, almost 1230, it would take me about half of an hour to drive home and just driving in my car, crying and filled with peace and joy and, and just feeling the presence of the Lord. It was wonderful. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Roxanne's every month. Become a friend to focus on the family and invest in this ministry. Call 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Now, I always ask couples, when was the last time you had a 10-minute eye-to-eye consistent eye contact with each other, purposely focused eye contact, without any distractions, cell phone the other room, TV off? Almost every couple that comes to see me will say, we can't remember. What a great question and wise insight from Dr. Randy Schrader, and he'll be offering more insights to help you better understand and enjoy your spouse. On today's episode of Focus on the Family, it's a best of 2022 program. And thanks for joining us today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, the normal wear and tear on a marriage can take its toll. And it can be anything from financial worries to getting the kids' homework done. Just the routines can really wear down your relationship with your spouse. And many of these stressors are unavoidable. We get that. But there are some things you can do that are what I would call regular maintenance that really help your marriage thrive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's not the situation where you're in some serious trouble. This is more the tune-up activity that we all need and we all can do. Right. If you're in trouble, if you're feeling like we're in a crisis, we can't pull up, uh, give us a call. We have uh, really a terrific team of caring counselors, 800, the letter A in the word family. As you said, though, Jim, this is more of a tune-up for couples, and I think it's going to help a lot of folks feel like they're closer. Right. As I said, we have Dr. Randy Schrader here. He's a pastor, former seminary professor, and has been a marriage and family counselor for over 30 years. And uh, Randy's been married to Jenny for over 45 years, and they have two children, and is this right, six grandchildren. Uh, His book is going to be the foundation of our conversation today. It's called Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, uh, Practical Skills and Tools that Build a Strong, Satisfying Relationship. Randy, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Jim and John, it's great to be with you again. I really appreciate you and Focus on the Family for promoting biblical values and supporting marriages and parents and families. Just thank you so very much for having me again. Well, it's a treat, actually. And I was telling the team as we were getting ready for the program, you you have a really good gift, which is to bring everyday metaphors into the marriage situation. So you make it rather easy, I think, to remember little principles that really do help your marriage. And we're going to unpack those today. And I'm looking forward to people hearing more from you in this marriage area. In fact, you've counseled thousands of married couples, so that's where you get your expertise from. You've got stories galore. Um, What are some of those top skills uh, that you need to make a successful marriage? 
Great question, and it always begins, Jim and John, with, I think, expectations. The big E. That's so true. Expectations impact relationships. The habits determine the quality of our life and our relationships, including marriage. And so what happens before marriage, Jim and John, are couples are meeting each other's expectations over and over. And that feels good, you know, to have your expectation met over and over. And so they decide to get married because they want that gratifying relationship for the rest of their life. And what happens, though, after marriage, often couples stop expressing their expectations that they so much desire and requesting different things, expectations from their spouse. And they forget it's all about the big E. Well, let me ask you this, though, because do you think in the courtship phase that that expression is happening any differently? I mean, I I think of Gene and I when we were courting. I don't know that I was expressing my expectations mm-hmm. of our relationship, you know, any differently than our first, second, third year of marriage. I w- I'm not saying it was effective, but I, did, I it doesn't catch my attention mm-hmm. that I was sitting down saying, "Well, Gene, here are the three things I really need from you." Uh, what What do you mean? No, I think that's so true that that before marriage, uh, there is a goal to make the other person happy. And making the other person happy says, hey, I'm going to kind of assume expectations and meet expectations. And then after the first couple of years of marriage, couples fall into complacency. Complacency is the dreaded disease for every marriage, taking one spouse for granted, taking the marriage for granted, and they forget about meeting each other's expectations. And so then they need to request those expectations. You know, sometimes expectations can be... Um Boy, they're, they're conflict-oriented. I'm thinking of Gene and I. One of our early conflicts, and uh-huh. it was around this area of expectations, was if I went to the movies with my guy friends, like I went and saw Terminator. Uh-huh. She wasn't happy about that because <laughs> that's not a properly rated movie. Uh-huh. And I was shocked. Like, Terminator is just, you know, good old robot violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was something that she thought, wow, you know, I wouldn't expect. Uh, you know, a decent Christian man to go and enjoy that. So we had to kind of work through that, like what is uh, appropriate in that way. And that kind of took me by surprise a little bit. And that is a good point, Jim, because we all have our own dictionary uh, of words and how we define them. And so uh, it's important to make sure expectations are specific and then you talk about what's reasonable, what's realistic. Are they godly words and behaviors that need to be met to make an emotional connection for a couple? And uh, But it still comes back to the big E, expectations, yeah. and you and Gene talking about Let that. Let me ask you, too. In the book, you have a, an example of a couple that had been married 32 years. And you know, Gene and I have been married 35. How long have 37. you been married? Yeah. So Congratulations you think, to both of well, you. That's terrific. That is and terrific. you're at 45, right? Uh, 46. 46. I mean, uh, that is great. Yeah. And that's something I think we three men are committed to, our marriages, right? Yes, sir. But a lot of young couples would look at us and say, wow, how'd you do that? How did you get through all that expectation issue. This particular couple at 32 years had some major unmet expectation issues. Describe what was going on. Well, they went to their pastor and uh, they were very faithful Christians. Jim and John, they went to church every Sunday. Uh, they had adult children that were married out of the house and, uh, and they both contacted lawyers. 
They absolutely wanted a divorce. Yeah, they, this is happy time. Yeah, the, kids are gone. This well, is time to enjoy life. If you, the, a big a big range, twenty five to thirty five yeah. years, is a, seeing a, a lot of a lot of couples getting yeah. getting divorced. Mm-hmm. So what As, what was going on there? Just well, they just there was no unfaithfulness, but they just weren't happy. They were not meeting each other's expectations without knowing how to make the expectations known. And I think that is the key. I, I'm on a mission to share with couples practical, specific behaviors, words, and guidelines that make a difference. And so they came to see me uh, with every premarital couple. In the first couple of sessions, I talk about expectations. And I talk about being specific. Oftentimes what I'll do, I'll have a couple make a list of their top 10 expectations for their marriage. And so I explained expectations to this couple in the first session because they were in a crisis. And then I asked them, for the next seven days, will you please ask one expectation of each other every day? Doesn't have to be anything big. Will you please put your shoes in the closet when you come home? You know, will you please put your clothes in the laundry rather than throw them on the floor? So 14 total expectations. They came back the next week, and they both had smiles on their faces. And they said, we want you to know we contacted our lawyers and told them we're putting our divorce on hold. And we want you, Dr. Schrader, to give us the specific, practical words, behaviors, and guidelines that lead to a satisfying Christian marriage. All right, so we write down our expectations, I guess, big and small, those yeah, things yeah, that are yes, going to irritate you. And and I would say the other aspect of this is don't assume your spouse knows what your, your expectations are. And they need to be specific. You know, when couples make a list of their top 10 expectations, like premaritally, you know, because I do it with premarital couples too, they'll say, go to church. Well, that's a good expectation, but what church? You know, how often are you going to go to church? Once a a year, Christmas and Easter, every Sunday. So it's good to be specific with those expectations. Yeah, that's good. All right, we have that down. Now we move into um, the idea of practical wisdom and those good wisdom habits. You you identify four. What are those four? These are, I, I really wish I had called them stay in love habits. These They are fall in love habits that need to become stay-in-love habits. And so what do all couples premaritally do? Well, they go on a variety of dates, and they uh, do a lot of fun things together all the time. Mm-hmm. And they also look into each other's eyes, and they make a heart connection. And they talk hours and hours premaritally. And again, they're meeting each other's expectations, and then premaritally they give each other lengthy hugs and lingering kisses. And those four fall-in-love habits need to continue, Jim and John, after marriage. Unfortunately, after the second or third year of marriage, I would suggest to you, have no scientific facts, 95% of couples stop doing Mm. the fall-in-love habits, and, and that's what causes their hearts to go cold, what causes them to drift apart, what causes them to stop making their expectations known. The challenge there, it seems almost too simplistic. I'm sure some couples that are listening that are in some trouble, um, you know, they're not where they want to be. Again, not serious. Yeah. And and we're here for you. If you're in a more serious situation, Mm -hmm. give us a call. Our counselors are here and John will give those details in a minute. But even for, you know, again, the tune-up kind of attitude, it sounds almost too simple, Randy, that it really it's just like spend 10 minutes eye to eye talking, hug for 10 seconds, uh, you know, and then make sure you're dating your mate. 
If I do those things, I'm going to have a great marriage? Seriously? Well, marriage, yeah, and that's a good question, Jim. Marriage takes a lot more than the fall in love habits and the stay in love habits. But if couples are not doing those, I kind of call them the foundation. Right. They're not going to be emotionally connected. And the uh, I, I would ask your listeners, Jim, and I always ask couples, when was the last time you had a 10-minute eye-to-eye heart contact, consistent eye contact with each other, purposely focused eye contact, without any distraction, cell phone the other room, TV off, Almost every couple that comes to see me will say, we can't remember. Yeah. We can't remember the last time we spent 10 minutes because couples are, you know, they may cook dinner together, but it's just passing eye contact. Just to look into each other's eyes like the three of us are doing Hmm. just doesn't happen after the second or third year of marriage. That complacency sets in. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. After 11 years, Brett's marriage had grown stale. He wanted something better for he and his wife. Focus on the families helped our marriage from the standpoint of opening our hearts to see things from the other's perspective and to make sure that God is centered in our marriage. I'm Jim Daly. Together we can give families hope. Donate at focusonthefamily.com family and your gift will be doubled. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories. That's focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Randy, you describe in the book uh, something I'd really not connected, but it's the attractiveness of politeness. Hmm. And that, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it that way. I just think of being polite as the right thing to do. But the attractiveness of being polite to your spouse. Well, and, and again... After the first few years of marriage, politeness kind of drops out. And being extra polite, saying please and thank you and you're welcome. Uh, But when couples or spouses have affairs, it's often because uh, the other person is so polite and kind to them. In fact, I mentioned in my book uh, a husband who had an affair, and he, he said to me, he said the other woman wasn't really that attractive, but she was polite. She gave me compliments. She looked me in the eyes for a lengthy period of time. Wow, what so we just all, talked yeah, about. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's cover uh, two simple habits for resolving conflict. I mean, these are just all, like you said, John, great handles mm-hmm. that you could rapidly uh, put to work. But the first uh, idea of resolving conflict is to stay inside the nines. Now you're going to explain this and I'm going to come back and say, could we make it inside the eights? Because I'm a morning person and not a night owl, but go ahead. Well, I actually was going to, I'm glad you said that, Jim. And I'm glad we're talking about this. So what Inside the Nines means is there's never a serious discussion before nine in the morning or after nine at night. When I ask couples, when was the last time you had a big blow up? Almost 100% of the time, they'll say before nine in the morning 
or after nine o'clock at night. Now, Jim, you mentioned the eights, I, I, and, <laughs> and I, one, one of the things one of the things I love about you, Jim, is your sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I tell couples massage those guidelines, you know. But the thing is, when we're tired early in the morning or late at night, our feelings are tender, and so even though I'm a marriage expert and uh, help thousands of couples. My wife and I abide by that guideline because if we don't have the energy, what do we do? We blame our spouses and we don't look for solutions. So some couples, Jim, based on your eights, will say we're not going to have a serious discussion before 10 in the morning. We both right. are not energized to look for solutions. We're going to look for blame. Or we're not going to have a serious discussion after 8 at night. Uh, you also mentioned it's important to sit uh, next to each other, not to stand and not to be across from mm -hmm. each other. I mean, these are subtle things. I don't know that I would think of that, but it makes sense. And I'll ask couples, when, when was the last time you had those three negative words, a fight, an argument, or a conflict, were either one of you standing? They almost always say yes. One of us was standing. If I had the two of you yell right now, you could yell. If I have you stand up and yell, you would do a better job, and you would yell louder. And so standing is an intimidating posture. Standing leads to poor listening. We can't listen as well. I mean, the three of us right now are not standing. We're sitting so we can look each other in the eye and listen well to each other. And so it's essential. In the marriage world, I suggest sit at the kitchen table and kind of sit adjacent because this is one time, Jim and John, couples don't want to look eye to eye because they're talking about a tense topic. And, and so they need to be able to kind of look away, you know, if we're kind of adjacent. And a lot of couples will hold hands, okay? But standing will lead to poor listening, leads to yelling. And, and when couples implement stay inside the nines, I need your help, always be seated. It's amazing, amazing how their discussions improve. Mm -hmm. Uh, Randy, I, I want to get through the last couple of uh, analogies here because, again, they're so good. You talk about uh, scratches, cuts, and lacerations, and this is really helpful. I mean, I love this. Uh, describe it. So I use a medical model, scratches, cuts, and lacerations. Scratches, if the three of us are working around the house and we scratch ourselves, you know, it's not hurts a little, maybe a little little uh, faint uh, mark on our skin, but we know that's going to heal up on its own. So we don't do anything with it. If we cut ourselves working around the house, we will put ointment and a Band-Aid on that cut so that uh, it doesn't get infected. And so couples need to let scratches go and don't stress out over scratches in your marriage. Okay, uh, and, and let those go and address cuts and then lacerations. Rarely, rarely do we get a laceration working around the house that we have to go to the doctor and get stitches to pull it back together. Okay, but uh, but and, and laceration would for uh, my description would be adultery, hmm. physical abuse, extreme verbal abuse, you know, those kind of things. And hopefully lacerations don't happen too often, but couples need to just address cuts and lacerations and let scratches go. Yeah. And that G makes a big give difference. Give some more illustration to scratches and cuts because, you know, one spouse's cut is another spouse's scratch. Mm. Great, great, <laughs> so, yeah, no, great insight, Jim. Again, you're, you're right. What, uh, what one defines as a scratch could be a cut. You know, and, and so that or can lead, or, a, uh, yeah, that can a lead cut to issues. Or a scratch. Yeah, if if one uh, well, what does the Bible say? Uh, uh, gentle words create life and health. Griping brings discouragement, and so griping all the time hmm. 
God's telling us in his word, don't do that. That brings discouragement. And so we got to let those scratches go. So if I, uh, and it, the, going back to the hug and the kiss, Jim and John, Jenny and I giving each other a lengthy hug, lingering kiss every day, and it's an odd date. Hopefully it becomes natural, but it's an odd date, and I come, or come home and forget to give that to Jenny. Hopefully, if I've done it 300 days in a row, she would forgive me and say, Randy just forgot. Not, not that she couldn't initiate, but hopefully she would just view that as a scratch, right. you know, and just kind of let it go and so not deal with it. You use an analogy of wallpaper um, about the importance of apologizing and forgiving. How, how does that work? These are so catchy. That's why they do work. If this room was filled with steam and we wanted to wallpaper to beautify this room, uh, we could try to wallpaper till Jesus returns. <laughs> but the, the walls will be damp and the wallpaper would just keep sliding down. So what we would need to do is open the door, let the steam out of the room, let the walls dry, and then we can wallpaper the room and beautify it. Likewise in a marriage, when a marriage is struggling, the heart is filled with the steam of bitterness and resentment. Hmm. And apologizing and forgiving allows that steam to leave the heart so that mm. the the heart can be beautified. The the we talked about the stay in love habits, the hug, the kiss, the out of our heart talk. That's not gonna stick if there has not been apologizing, forgiving for a cut or laceration to get that steam of bitterness out of the heart. That needs to be there first. And forgiveness is the core of our Christian faith. There are 125 references in the Bible to the importance of forgiveness for interpersonal relationships. Huh. And so that is the glue for brokenness for my marriage when it happens, for your marriage, for every marriage. And in that context, I think it's really important to hit the three uh, types of forgiveness or components of forgiveness that you illustrate. So the first one, Jim, is to say, I'm sorry I hurt you, by, And to use the word hurt. You know, and, and be specific. I'm sorry I hurt you by forgetting to do that important uh, action. Uh, and, and that's the first step. Probably, though, the most important is the second one, which creates humility. Will you please forgive me? Huh. Uh, and that can be a tough one because it takes a lot of courage, a lot of humility for someone to ask, will you please forgive me? And then the third part is to always use the forgive word. Couples should never say, no problem, that's okay, I'm over it, whatever. We always need to use the forgive word and forgive others as we have been forgiven. Now, there's two phrases I suggest. I forgive you or with God's help, I'll work at forgiving you. Well, and there's so much here, Randy. You, you think of the habitual sinner. Uh, in yes, that situation. And, you know, there has to be balance in that, that people need to be responsible. We don't have time to cover all that. I do want to address, uh, and I think from the wife's perspective, if I can speak for Jean, uh-huh. <laughs> but that, that concept that maybe the wife feels like she is trying, she is putting in the effort. What we've talked about today may provide some additional tools that she hasn't thought about, but it's a very uneven effort. I'm giving 100%, and he's only given 20%. What does she do with that angst uh, so she doesn't get the uh, humidity or the uh, steam of bitterness? Jim, another terrific question, and I'm glad you brought that up because wives are very committed to 
learning and growing most to be typically. healthy. Yeah, most typically. Yeah, yeah. I should say generally yeah. speaking. Yeah. yeah, you're right, Jim, most typically. And, uh, and husbands, not so much, okay? And so I have 90 simple yet effective habits in Simple Habits for Marital Happiness that most of them can be read in two or three minutes so that although a husband doesn't want to read, they'll take two or three minutes to read about stay inside the nines, to mm-hmm. always sit, to give a lengthy hug, lingering kiss. You know, And so I suggest to couples that they, and husbands are willing to do that. They don't want to read, and that's why my book is so thin. Like I said, I had 350 pages on apologizing for giving, but I wanted a thin marriage book that can be looked at immediately and that the husband will be willing to get on board and say, hey, I want to implement this so that we can have healthy disagreement discussions, so that we can have emotional closeness and connect. And so that, I think, makes the difference is that it's not going to be take a lot of time. It could take, and couples, I tell you, Jim and John, a lot of times will do this doing their eye-to-eye heart talk. They'll take one simple yet effective habit three times a week and just keep growing. So you're saying relax a bit, let the process take place, and encourage him to read two or three of these with you on a regular basis. Exactly. He can pick one out. She can pick one out. And if it's two a week and just say, hey, let's talk about this. This is specific words and behaviors and guidelines that we can use. And let's just talk about it. And it doesn't take that long. Yeah. And, and he'll get on board with that, but he won't get on board with, here's a great big book with a lot of diagrams <laughs> and a, a lot of concepts and a lot of philosophies. Yeah. And this is explanation of marriage. They won't get into that. Well, Randy, this has been so good. And uh, man, I hope this uh, gives you an inkling of the tools and the resources here. And Randy's done such a good job uh, distilling what he learned Mm -hmm. through his PhD and really grabbing the core things from a Christian perspective, which I also appreciate, Randy. Uh, We want to be biblically based here at Focus on the Family and use those principles that really do help in the human relationship of our lifetime, which is the one with our spouse. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being with us. Thank you again for having me and God's richest blessings on your lives and your marriages and your families as well. Some great advice for married couples today on a best of 2022 focus on the family. And I hope you've been inspired by Dr. Randy Schrader's ideas to improve your relationship with your spouse. And I hope you know focus on the family is here for you. Uh, We want to give you the resources you need to end the year strong in your marriage. One way to kick off that journey is through our marriage assessment. It takes just a few minutes to complete, and it will point out some areas that you're doing really well in, and then some areas that probably need some improvement. And it's absolutely free. Yeah, it's a great conversation starter with your spouse. And then we uh, do have Dr. Randy's terrific book, Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, uh, right here at the ministry. The great thing about getting it from us is that all the proceeds go right back into ministry. We're not paying shareholders anything. And as we approach the holidays, it's more important than ever to share the hope that Jesus Christ came to give each one of us. With overwhelming inflation and high costs for food and fuel and marriages that are struggling, we need inspiration from the Lord. Yeah, this is a tough time of year for a lot of people. And thousands reach out to focus on the family by phone, mail, and email. They're seeking answers. They are, John. And this time of year is also 
an opportunity to come alongside those facing challenges and give families hope through your support of Focus on the Family. Your prayers and financial gifts provide scripture-based resources and programs to strengthen marriages and help strengthen parents as well. And when you donate today, a gift of any amount will send you a copy of Dr. Randy's book, Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us. So on behalf of the families you'll be reaching through Focus on the Family, let me say thank you. And right now, through a special year-end matching opportunity, your gift is going to be doubled dollar for dollar. And so donate, and God will use your gift to bring healing and redemption to twice as many couples. Donate today and get your copy of Simple Habits for Marital Happiness when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or online at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. Praying with the kids at bedtime in the comfort of your home. This warm setting is featured in the new special edition print from Focus on the Family titled, What Matters Most? It's a story in paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a gicle depicting a faithful pioneer family, and it can have a special place in your home to remind you of what's truly important. Get this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash special print. That's focusonthefamily.com slash special print. children are not your source of life. Don't find your strength from them. (laughs) You're like, oh no, my kids fill me up. Yeah, give it a while. You will find out nothing sucks the life out of you faster than a child. (laughs) Pastor Ted Cunningham has some hope, encouragement, and laughter for busy parents today. On Focus on the Family with your host, Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Well, John, we all love our kids, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if we expect them to be our source of joy and our reason for living, we're bound to be disappointed. Only God can truly fill our hearts that way. And that's the message Ted Cunningham wants to share with you today, especially if you're getting stressed out by all the details involved in parenting a child. Uh, Ted is going to encourage you to de-stress with laughter, and I know you'll uh, get a kick out of his presentation. It's based on his book, A Love That Laughs, published by Focus on the Family. Right, and you can get a copy of that book from us. The proceeds go right back into the ministry when you do. Uh, look for A Love That Laughs at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Well, Ted really is a favorite on this broadcast. He's so entertaining, and he's a comedian at heart. You can hear that. He's also a pastor at heart. He's the lead pastor at Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri. With that, here's Ted Cunningham speaking at a Sparkle Women's Conference at River Valley Church in Minneapolis on Focus on the Family. It is great to be here. There have been a lot of moments where we've been told to turn to our neighbor and say, and I really haven't been comfortable with any of them. i got to be honest with you. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what she's feeling. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what's going on. Love y'all. It's so good to be. I'm like, what am I doing at a women's conference? And then it hit me. Uh, This theme is, is, I'm going to focus on the last part. And she laughs without fear of the future. 
And we just heard that the sixth love language is working out. <laughs> Wrong. No, I'm just, that's, I get it. It's my wife's love language is working out long walks. She walks me and the dog every night right before sunset. <laughs> she wants me to live till 90. And uh, I believe the sixth love language could also be laughter, the way we give and receive love. I just finished a book on laughter called A Love That Laughs, and we studied laughter for the last year. And I've been watching it in my wife, and my wife has a silent patriotic laugh, is what I call her laugh. When she finds something funny, she places her hand over her heart, leans forward, and nothing comes out. So, ladies, I'm glad you're laughing. Sometimes I go to churches that aren't used to laughter. That's why I love coming to River Valley. Y'all love to laugh. But I go to some churches, they don't laugh at all. And I'm like, ladies, let the laughter out. You hold it in, it turns to cellulite. I need you to let that laughter out. Don't hold it in. I believe the reason I am here today, I want to tell you who your source is and where you find your strength, but I also want to encourage you to lighten up. So as you start at the first part of Proverbs 31:25, which is where when I got this verse and I got this theme, my heart leapt. I was so excited. I started to pencil some things down and just I've been meditating on it for the past few months and asking the question, where does a woman find her strength, her hope, her confidence. Psalm 118 and verse 14 says, my power and strength come from the Lord and he has saved me. Psalm 28, seven says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song, I praise him. I wanted to tell you, he is your source of life today. He's your source of life and be careful what you do uh, with people, places, or things. Be very careful not to turn people, places, or things into your source of life. We say it around our home often, my source of life is Jesus, not you. I receive from him and pour out to you. What you receive from me should be the overflow of my relationship with the Lord. Your strength, your hope, your confidence, it's not in outward appearance. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Is this prohibitive of that? No. It's saying, don't let that be your source, but it can be overflow. Don't let it be your source. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Wear nice clothes. Wear makeup. Do your, that's not at all what this is teaching. It's saying it just shouldn't be your source of life. It's not money. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We lose strength and lack confidence when we turn the blessings of God into our source of life. And we start worshiping the blessings rather than the one who blessed us. Where is your source today? I want to talk to you in the time that we have remaining just about laughter as a barometer of strength. Not perfection, but strength. Two other areas that you should never find yourself looking to as your source. 
Your source is not in your children. They're not your source of life. And some of you right now, your children have become an extension and you find your value in them. Vanity parenting uses the child's attributes and accomplishments to try to impress other people. Let your strength, let your confidence, let your hope, let your beauty come from that inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I have to talk to the moms for just a second because everything I do is marriage and parenting and I can't get away from it. Mom, you're stressing out over the non-essentials in parenting. And you need to know what the essentials are. And the essentials are, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And impress these. These commandments are to be upon your heart. Impress them upon your children. Bring your children up in the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the essentials that we're going after. But I see parents today stressing over the non-essentials. Why? Mom, stressing over the non-essentials because the children have become the source. Your family's not perfect, and you're going to do okay. I'm going to show you a few things. Just give you an example of what I see parents stressing out over today. How about this one right here? Formula. Passionate people. You got to nurse. You got to nurse as long as you can. Nursing didn't work for us with Corinne. She's like, thanks for sharing that with all the women of Minnesota, <laughs> Dad. But it didn't. I'll never forget it. Six weeks. Her six-week appointment, we went into the doctor, and I'm sitting by Amy, and he comes in. He's going over all of her charts. Starts looking at her head. Head's good. Length good. Gets to the weight chart. His back is turned to us. He's one of these doctors that doesn't have great uh, bedside manner. And I'll never forget him saying these words. Good night. What are you doing? Starving this baby? I look over at Amy. The tears start flowing. This is why it's so important. If you're not in a life group, a home group, a small group, if you don't have community, get in community, because that night we had home group. That night we had home group, and we're new parents trying to figure it out, and we ain't doing that well, and we're an emotional wreck. We're not sleeping well. Corinne's never slept a night, you know, in those first six weeks, and we're exhausted. We start telling all our struggles, and one older lady in our group gets up, and she walks over to the kitchen, and I follow her. I said, uh, excuse me. I said, what are you doing? She reaches up in the cabinet. She grabs that formula they give you free at the hospital. She puts it down, and she starts making a bottle. And I go, oh, whoa, 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 hey, what are you doing? Because I've read all the books, right? I know what the books say. And there's somebody in here right now real passionate about it. Oh, I hope he's not giving a message that formula's okay. That's the whole point I'm trying to make. And I got really all up in arms with this lady. I go, you can't give her formula. She goes, you give me one good reason why I can't give Corinne formula right now. I said, well, first of all, I don't want her going to community college. That's where I'll start with the whole thing. That usually gets about 75% laugh, and I'll explain to you why. 25% are super right now. You're stressed. I think your kids are going to be fine. Lighten up, Mom. Focus on the essentials. Let go of the non-essentials a little bit. Your children are not your source of life. Don't find your strength from them. (laughs) You're like, oh, no, my kids fill me up. Yeah, give it a while. You will find out nothing sucks the life out of you faster. Than a child. 
How about this one? Oh, let's keep going there since we're having so much fun. Oh, a binky? No, you did not give your daughter a binky. We did. Till she was two and a half. Sure, she can't pronounce her S's. But she has nailed the other 25 letters. I need you to know that. She's got them down. Let's keep going. How about this? The family bed. I hear people get online debating everything. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You should. I'm, I'm for eradicating the kid-centered home. But I want to explain something right now to every mom in here. And this is serious. This is not a punchline right here. You are under no obligation to explain or defend your parenting choices. None. I'm over there. I hate all my Facebook friends. I hate them all. They're all of their father, the devil, and children of darkness. I can't stand them. If you have the family bed and somebody goes, oh, it's got now look at all those kids, the dog, the cat. I have no idea how they had so many kids, but if that's your choice, no one's here to tell you otherwise. Oh, then this one stresses parents out, the school picture, right? What school? Public, private, home, Christian? You're under no obligation to explain or defend your choices. The bus. I'm seeing parents today stress over the bus. Do we send our kids on the bus? <laughs> I grew up on the bus. How many of you grew up on a bus? I want you, those of you stressing about this decision right now, I want you to look around. I do, because I'm going to ask this question. You're going to be shocked at how many hands go up. How many of you remember back in the day, bus drivers kicking unruly kids off the bus in the middle of the route? Oh, I'm in Minnesota now. <laughs> it's 10 below zero. Get off the bus. We did, though. If you met, Listen, the bus driver would drop you off a mile and a half from home. I grew up in the cornfields of Illinois. I remember getting dropped off. And you'd see our line going through the cornfields to get home. So long as you stayed out in front of the combine, you were fine. But we all survived. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I'm here asking people what happens when you turn 70 and a half. You get free ice cream for life? Uh, you get more senior discounts? When you turn 70 and a half, you're eligible for an IRA charitable rollover, and you can give that to Focus on the Family. You can find out more at focusplannedgiving.com. Reduce your taxable income and help families thrive for generations to come. It's a gift that appreciates, and we appreciate you for giving it. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. How many of you remember when your mom couldn't figure out which of your siblings was at fault, so she just spanked all of you? How many of you remember that? Yeah, those were good days. How many of you remember when your mom sent you upstairs to wait for your spanking? That was worse than the spanking. How many of you remember when mom sent you upstairs to wait for your spanking, then forgot she sent you upstairs to wait for your spanking? You and your brother are like, do we tell her? Do we need to remind her what we're doing up here? <laughs> I had a brother four years old and he totally stubborn. He'd sit on his side of the bed, oh, dad ain't going to break me. Mom ain't going to break me. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm screaming on the backswing. 
Let's see how quick we can do this, but we've already enjoyed laughter. Again, understanding that laughter is a barometer of strength. Have you ever gotten to the end of the day and you're like, I haven't laughed once today? Is it a sign I need to find a way to laugh or do I need to take a deeper look? What's going on that I'm so stressed, that I'm so focused on all of these, what I'm going to say, non-essentials? that I need to get back to it. And so I want to just share that. I know this seems like a lot, but I think we got time to plow through it. Uh, I have a, a chapter in the book called 38 Benefits of Laughter. And uh, I want to give you 42 of them uh, before we go to lunch. No, I ain't keeping you from lunch. But I'd like to give you 15 of them because Proverbs 17:22 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And we've been taking that medicine since this day began. I've been laughing since I walked through the doors at eight. I, I got to tell you something. Laughter is a great way to know where am I right now? With strength, with confidence, with hope. It's a great barometer. Number one, laughter is therapy. It's therapy. We've been taking some of this today. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says, laugh out loud. It helps flush out the nervous system. Laughter is the most beautiful and beneficial therapy God ever granted humanity laugh. Number two, humor helps us learn and hope opens us up for the truth. I always love telling people, yes, laughter is a medicine, but it also helps other medicines go down. And sometimes I get criticized, you use too much laughter, too much humor when you preach. I said, yeah, but if you just would pay attention while you're laughing, I'm cramming truth down your throat. <laughs> and I do it Sunday after Sunday Three, humor helps us cope. A person without a sense of humor is like a wagon without springs. It is jolted by every pebble in the road. Good humor makes all things tolerable. Henry Ward Beecher. I love the fourth one. Laughter is free. No memberships, no subscriptions. Number five, when we laugh, we breathe in oxygen-rich air. Dr. Sophie Scott, neuroscientist, I've been studying her for the last couple of years. Her, her, I've been studying her research. That sounded really weird the way that came out. <laughs> laughter is a deep breath, figuratively and literally. When you laugh, your ribcage expands and contracts more rapidly than it does when you breathe or talk. And that leads to the sixth one, laughing burns calories. <laughs> I did, I, just to make a point, when Julia started talking, I looked at my calorie count. By the end of her talk, this is true, I was sitting there. We were sitting there. I burned 43 calories during her talk. According to Vanderbilt University, you can shed 40 calories with 10 to 15 minutes of laughter. So laugh and put away the jogging suit. That's what I say, put away the jogging suit. Number seven, laughter reduces tension throughout your entire body. Laughter reduces tension throughout your entire body. I love, I do date night comedy events around the country, and I just, it, my favorite comment to hear when people walk out is my face hurts or my side hurts. I can't remember the last time we laughed three to five laughs per minute, and you really are exhausted at the end of the time. If you ever watch comedy specials, that's why they only go an hour and five or an hour and ten minutes. You'll, you'll rarely see a comedy show go to an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 because you just don't have any more laughs in you. You're exhausted. That's a good thing to exhaust yourself with laughter. 
Here's my favorite one, number eight. Your body can't tell the difference between fake and real laughter. Your mind can, but your body can't. So if you're not feeling it, fake it. So I, that's an important lesson for wives, okay? I don't know where your mind just went with that, but I'm talking about laughter. The next time your husband tells a joke that ain't funny, fake it. Go home from this. He says something funny or does something funny, Your body is reaping the benefits of that laughter. Let it go. Nine, humor grows two people closer together. I heard somebody tell me, uh, I think it was last year, I think live events are on their way out. And I went, what? I said, I, I don't think, because you know what you've been doing? You've been laughing together. You, you can't, when you're in a, you can laugh at something when it's just you, but it's not nearly as much fun and it, as this and as contagious as this. Like, watch this. I'm going to show you something. Tickle yourself right now. See if you can make yourself laugh. Yeah, you can't do it. You cannot tickle yourself to make yourself laugh. Now turn to your neighbor. No! turn to your neighbor. I need, no, hey, ick, ick, ick. Do not turn to your neighbor. <laughs> I don't even know this woman, but she's with another church. Laughing says, I'm with you. It says, I'm on the same page. I get it. Ten, laughter diffuses social tension and awkwardness. Humor is a great tool to break the ice with strangers and new friends. It's an indicator. It immediately helps us identify other people that get us. This is a big one. Eleven, big. Laughter makes you more attractive. That online dating sites are trying to figure out how to get this into the algorithm besides just the question. Do you have a sense of humor? Do you want somebody with a sense of humor? And again, tell the guys in our church, you don't need the looks of Brad Pitt. You don't need the body of the rock. And you don't need the confidence of Tony Stark. Okay? You need a paycheck. <laughs> and a couple of jokes. <laughs> a paycheck and laughter is great for relationship and chemistry. Twelve, laughter humanizes me. Laughter is a shake of the head acknowledging, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. Ethel Barrymore said, you grow up the day you have your first real laugh at yourself. <laughs> Pastor Mark Batterson says that the happiest and healthiest people in the world are the people who laugh at themselves the most. You've got to take God seriously, but you can't take yourself Seriously, honestly, I think we are grossly underestimating God's sense of humor. I believe the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We tend to ignore the second half. Maybe we need to take fun more seriously.
Three more. 13, laughter pleases God. Randy Alcorn says, laughter is not only human, it's explicitly biblical and pleasing to God. It's therefore inconceivable to think that Jesus didn't laugh. Laughter ministers to others. The best way to cheer yourself is to try to cheer someone else up, Mark Twain. And it's one of the things I love to do when I go into a hospital. I've visited folks from our church in hospice care. And their spouse says, Ted, we're so glad you're here. You need to make him laugh. Let's just have fun together. And there have been plenty of people in their final days where we just stood around, we sat around, we told stories, and we laughed, enjoying the fellowship of one another. The last one, laughter reminds us of the hope of heaven. I like what Randy Alcorn says. Jesus says, blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. In context, he's talking about people having great reward in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you will laugh in heaven. Surely Jesus will join in in the laughter and be a source of much of it. And when Jesus laughed, it's always the laughter of both God and man. One of the criticisms our church receives in Branson, and one of the reasons people will say they stay away from our church is because there's too many people and too much laughter, to which we say, you're probably not going to like heaven. Heaven's going to be a pretty rough place for you. Martin Luther actually put it this way. If they don't allow laughter in heaven, then I don't want to go there. If the earth is fit for laughter, then surely heaven is filled with it. Heaven is the birthplace of laughter. If I can just encourage you with this last image, it's uh, on my phone. It's my alarm section. 340 was to get to Minnesota. But 522 in military time, 1722, which is a reminder of Proverbs 1722. Let that alarm go off and just ask yourself the question, did I even laugh today? How much laughter? What was my conflict to laughter ratio? A.W. Tozer said the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. The Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Thank you, Sparkle, for allowing me to share a little bit with you this morning. Love you all very much. Thank you. Ted Cunningham on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And with Mother's Day coming up on Sunday, I'd say this message was well-timed. Don't you think, Jim? That is great timing. And we want to wish all the moms in our audience a happy and blessed Mother's Day. Moms, you really are special. And, you know, I have a lot of great memories of my mom, even though I I lost her when I was only nine. And I especially remember her great sense of humor. She really loved to laugh, and it just lifted the entire family. It makes me smile just thinking about that. And as Ted pointed out, laughter is something that we all need in our lives. And I'd encourage you to get a copy of his book, A Love That Laughs, published by Focus on the Family. When you request a copy through us, rest assured that the proceeds are going into ministry, not the pockets of shareholders. 
And please consider supporting us with a monthly gift. Uh, Gene and I do that with the ministry. It doesn't have to be a big amount. It's the consistency that really helps us month to month. Join us as we provide resources to strengthen marriages, empower parents, and protect preborn children across Canada. And when you get in touch, ask about how to get a copy of A Love That Laughs. Follow up at our website. It's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Or when you call... 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. When you're online with us, look for a link to our Focus on the Family Parenting Podcast, which is a great source of ongoing encouragement and support for your journey as a mom or a dad. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.